Well, what is up? Element Church, so glad that all of you are here with us today. I do want to say hello to those of you who are joining us via video right here in the building somewhere or maybe on the other side of the planet. So glad that you are tuning in today. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. And I just thank you for choosing to spend some time with us as we are concluding our sermon series titled Don't Be a Fan. And so next week you won't have the weird mannequin and staring at you the entire service, which for many of you will be a very good thing. Before we find, uh, finish out this series, though, I do want to remind everyone of what's going down next Sunday. So I want to challenge you as your pastor uh, to do your best, make it a priority to be here next Sunday, October 2nd, for a couple of reasons. First of all, as you heard during announcements, it's Baptism Sunday next week, and I would love to see as many people possible here to celebrate with those being baptized, as well as to support them. It's a big step to take to be baptized. We can make a big deal about it around here, so come for that. Uh, Second of all, it is our ninth birthday as a church next Sunday. Super excited about that. Yeah, it's awesome. So we're going to celebrate that next week as well. And then lastly, as we head into uh, the next 10 years of ministry and beyond, I'm going to be taking next Sunday the entire message portion to be sharing with you where we believe God is asking us to go next and what to do next. We've got some exciting news to share with you, some changes that are coming our way as a church that you're going to want to be a part of. And so that's next Sunday. Make sure and be here for that. As I said, today is the last sermon in our series called don't be a fam. And we're talking about what it truly means to follow Jesus, not just to be fans of Jesus, enthusiastic admirers, but to be followers of Jesus. And we use that phrase a lot in Christianity, a follower of Christ. It's just become a part of our language in the church that as church people, we're very used to that language. But I think there's probably some believers and unbelievers alike who ask questions like, okay, we're supposed to follow Jesus, but where is he going? Like, I can't physically see him or touch him, so how do I know where to go or what to do as a follower of Jesus? And I just want to acknowledge kind of off the top that for some people uh, in the room today within the sound of my voice, the the phrase follower of Jesus can sound weird or even far-fetched. And I admit that, and I get that if you're not used to that language. But regardless of what we believe about Jesus, regardless of how you feel about the phrase follower of Jesus, I think all of us would agree that if you're going to follow someone, it's helpful to know where they are going, right? Like you want to know, what am I getting into when I start following this person to wherever they are going? For instance, last year, To celebrate my parents' 45th wedding anniversary, Uh, our whole family gathered for 4th of July weekend in Estes Park, Colorado. My parents rented a condo there for us to to all stay in. My brother, his wife, their three kids, they came in from Kansas City. My sister, her husband, their three kids, they were home from China for the summer. And then Sabrina and I and our four kids, we all kind of gathered there in Estes Park for the weekend, hanging out, playing games, enjoying God's beautiful creation there in Estes Park. And if you've never been
been to Estes Park, it is absolutely gorgeous. Like you have the Rocky Mountain uh, National Park, National Forest right there. there. There's lakes and ponds and streams and waterfalls and hiking trails. If you're not into all the outdoor stuff, there's actually amazing restaurants and shopping as well. And then almost every day, you'll just see elk like wandering the street in people's front yards. It's absolutely amazing if you've never gone there there you need to so being from kansas city and not in settings like estes park very often my brother's family wanted to make sure that we took at least part of a day to go hiking there in the mountains my brother-in-law dale he grew up in greeley colorado so not far from estes park spent many weekends up there in estes and he told us I have the perfect hiking trail for us all to enjoy. Now, you need to understand that Dale is an avid hiker and mountain climber. He has hiked several 14ers in Colorado, which you don't know what that is. It's peaks that are higher than 14,000 feet, which I will never do in my lifetime. But that's Dale. That's kind of who he is. And even though our three youngest kids from the families were going to stay at the condo with my parents, we still had an 8, 10, 11, and 12-year-old, three teenagers, and the old parents that were all going to go on this hike. On top of that, my brother's family being from Kansas City, the elevation in Kansas City is 909 feet above sea level. Estes Park is 7,200 feet above sea level. So we wanted to clarify with Dale what this hiking trail was really like. So we went to Dale and we said, Dale, you know, is this hike good for the whole family? Like not everyone's used to the elevation. You know, we're not out for an all-day thing or a heavy, you know, mountain, uh, mountain hike, backpacking adventure. We just want a nice, relaxing hike in the Rocky Mountains, to which he assured us it was a four-mile hike. He said the, the last part is really steep, but it's worth it to get to the top and see the views from the top of, of this hike. He says, doable for everyone. And so off we went. We drove uh, to the trailhead of Crozier Mountain Trail. We packed some water, a few sandwiches and snacks, and we headed out on our hike. Now, I often show pictures, and so I got some pictures of us. Here's one before the hike happened. We were all smiles. Everyone was ready to go. It was a beautiful day, 4th of July weekend last year. Even a few uh, kind of up the trail a little ways. We got another picture of us as well. We were still all smiles, everyone enjoying the hike, and the views were breathtaking. Here's a one picture from us going on the hike there. I got one from the very peak, which was absolutely gorgeous, just breathtaking up there on top of Crozier Mountain. But we hiked and hiked and hiked and hiked and hiked, and we hiked some more. Like 30 minutes turned to an hour, an hour turned into 90 minutes. We go around one corner and then around a a next on these switchbacks. We went from a nice, like, easy grade, about two or three people wide, into the steep, rocky grade, single file line up the mountain. This picture does not do justice, the grade we were walking on, but here's a picture of us walking single file up Crozier Mountain forever. It seemed like it was going, and the kids, as you can imagine, started asking questions. Questions like, how much longer are we going to have to hike up this stupid mountain? Those questions turned to complaints, and the complaints literally turned to crying on the mountain. Tears were being shed by the children, and maybe by some of the parents as well, about how long this stupid hike was taking. Finally, I had enough. And I, in my mind, was thinking, we have have to have gone two miles already. 
why aren't we turning around to go back to the trailhead? And so I, you know, composed myself, wiped the tears from my eyes, you know, uh, went, to, went to my brother-in-law, Dale, and I was like, Dale, I thought you said it was a four-mile hike. And here was his response. It is four miles to the summit. I'm like, bro. Like, I gave you permission to marry my sister, and you go and do this? Like, unless you have a helicopter meeting us at the top to take us back to the bottom, it's four miles back. I know you're not good at math. That's an eight-mile hike. Eight miles, Dale, that you're taking us on this this hike. We were running out of water. The Missouri family was fighting for every single breath. The sun was beating down on the mountain. What we thought was a four-mile relaxing hike through the Rocky Mountains turned into an eight-mile hike. And listen to this, with a 2,000-foot elevation increase. Crozier Mountain Peak is 9,250 feet. All the way to, that's almost 9,000 feet higher than the Missouri family was used to. We were exhausted. We were starving. We were hot. We were dehydrated. We were frustrated. We wanted to throw Dale off the top of the mountain. And if we would have known where Dale was taking us, I'm not sure we ever would have gone. It's exactly how I think many people follow Jesus. So here's the thing. As we've already seen in the series, following Jesus is not easy. It's not some relaxing hike through the Rocky Mountains. And if we're going to follow Jesus, the first week we looked at some changes we have to make. Changes in our priorities, in our perspective, and in our purpose. Then last week we looked at the cost of following Jesus. That there's a cross to carry, a conflict to conquer, and a condition to, to continue. So, so here's the good news, though. Even though following Jesus is not easy... The good news is he actually tells us exactly what he expects of those who follow him before we ever make a decision to put our faith in him. There's no bait and switch with Jesus. No four-mile hikes that turn into eight-mile hikes with a 2,000-foot elevation. He tells us right at the front the changes we need to make, the cost it's going to take, and where we have to be willing to go if we are going to follow him. And that last one, where we have to be willing to go, is what we're talking about today in this last sermon in the series. So here's the big idea. You can write it down if you want to. It's on the screens. Where Jesus is going will only matter if I have the willingness to go. Where he's going only matters if I'm willing to go. So here's the big question we're going to answer today. Where is a follower willing to go? Where's a follower of Jesus willing to go? Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. They'll be on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible with you. And if you don't own a Bible, we we give them away every single week. We believe in it that much. And so if you don't own one, ask for one at guest services on the way out. We'll give you one free of charge. You can read the Bible on your own, which I encourage you to do, uh, whether you already own one or not. Luke 9, uh, this is an eyewitness account to a story, a teaching in the life of Jesus, jumping right in here to verses 57 and 58. It says this, As they were walking along, and they, as Jesus and the disciples, and apparently some other followers, so as Jesus and the disciples were walking along, it's also important to note where they were walking to, 
So if you read a few verses earlier, this is not on the screens, but in verse 51 of the same chapter, it says, um, as, they were, as he was heading uh, to Jerusalem where he would ascend to heaven, so he was on his way to Jerusalem essentially where he would suffer and die. That's where Jesus was headed to Jerusalem to suffer and die. Someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that statement has more weight when you know where Jesus was going. He was going to Jerusalem where he would suffer and die, verse 58. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. So where Jesus is going only matters if I have the willingness to go. Where's a follower willing to go? There's three things we'll see today. The first one is this. A follower is willing to go anywhere. A follower is willing to go anywhere. If you're hoping for me to give you specifics on where you should go today, you're going to be sorely disappointed because only the Holy Spirit can show you that. But it is clear in Scripture that we are called to go anywhere. And in my study Bible that I have, the footnote for this section says this. It's also on the screens. Any disciple of Jesus must be ready to go anywhere at any time and to give up comfort and security. Anywhere, anytime. Now the person here in this passage, we don't know who it is, but they come to Jesus and say, I will follow you wherever you go, not understanding he was on his way to literally give his life. And Jesus basically says, if you're going to follow me, not only might you be homeless because foxes have dens and birds have nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my head at night. So not only might you be homeless, but you might also be helpless unprotected from the elements or unprotected from the enemy because I am on my way to die. On my way to die. Like, I don't think you're aware of where I'm going to. And listen, God, this is huge. God is not opposed to comfort, safety, or security. He is not opposed to that. Like God has no preference over comfort or uncomfortable. Okay, he doesn't lean one way or the other. I'm getting a tad bit ahead of myself with this. But God is not for riches more than he is for poverty, and he's not for poverty more than he is for riches. Those are the two extremes in the Christian faith. That there are Christians who would say, well, to be godly means I don't have anything, I'm, I'm poor. Or there are people who say, well, if I'm godly, God will give me riches. God is for neither one. He is neither for poverty or riches. He is not for comfort or for uncomfortable. But, but, the idea that following Jesus will make us more comfortable is both arrogant and American. Like, we have no promise of comfort or security, but somehow, especially in our Western civilization, we have fallen for the lie, or at least we desperately hope it to be true, that if I follow Jesus, he will make me safe, comfortable, and secure. We say things like, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. But is it? I mean, spiritually, I understand the sentiment. Because the safest place for my soul to be is in the center of God's will. But physically, is that true? The safest place to be? The center of God's will? There's a conversation I had with my then five-year-old son 
that is indelibly etched into my brain. In 2006, God had clearly laid upon our hearts to move from Gillette, Wyoming, where I was the youth pastor, come here to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and start this thing called Element Church now nine years ago. And we did our best to explain to our son in five-year-old terms uh, what it means that, that we're, we're moving, like where we're going, why we're going, what it means that God asked us to go, all those things. And, and one day I was riding in my car with my son, just he and I, and from the back seat of my car, buckled into his car seat, he starts asking why other people from Gillette aren't going with us. And so I explained why, you know, why I tried to, do, to explain why they weren't going. And then he got to the question I think he really wanted to know. He said, well, why are we moving to Cheyenne? And again, I, I explained. I said, well, buddy, it's because God asked us. We feel like God asked us to start a church in, in Cheyenne. And so that's what we're going to do. And his follow-up question blew my mind. He said this. What if God asked us to go to a place where there were wars? I was like, whoa, it's a hard question to answer. I said, well, Jonah, I, I guess if God asked us to go to a place where there were wars, we would go. I thought that would be enough for him, but he went one question further, and he said this, well, wouldn't that mean we could die? Great question. So there in the car, I felt like God was there in that conversation with us. I really believe that conversation was more for me than it was my son, because I don't even know if he remembers that conversation. But I said, could we die? I guess so, buddy. But if God asked us to go to a place where we could die, this is my answer, there must really be people there who need to know Jesus. So we go. And there's people in Cheyenne that need to know Jesus. And God asked us to go there. And so we're going. It was a God moment in my life. Now listen, I don't know what my response would have been if God would have asked us to take our family to a place where there were wars. I honestly don't. And I'm fully aware that right in this room, there are people who, in following Jesus, have made much greater sacrifices in their life than I have. But the reality is this, okay, this is the point. When you hear the word go from God, very rarely does it ever come with any other guarantee other than I will be with you. He does not guarantee comfort or safety or security. He only promises his presence. And all through the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you can read it all through the Bible, God consistently tells his people this word, go, go. To Noah in Genesis, God, after Noah built the ark, God said, go into the boat with your family. And my question is, how did Noah know it was going to float? It had never been on water before. But Noah got in the boat with his family. Abraham, God said to Abraham, go to the land I will show you. Literally start walking until I tell you to stop. And Abraham went. Later on in life, God gave Abraham a son named Isaac. He was the son of the promise. God said, through this son, I will bless the entire world through Isaac. But he eventually said to Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac to me. So Abraham went up on a mountain, tied up his son with ropes, laid him on an altar, raised his knife, to slay his son at the last possible moment God said stop 
I see you trust me now. I'm providing a ram in the thicket. Moses was a murderer in Egypt. So he ran away into the wilderness, was tending some sheep when God appeared to him in a burning bush and said to Moses, go back to Egypt and lead my people out of their slavery. Elijah was wanted by King Ahab. But God said to Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab. Gideon was hiding in a wine press from the army of Midian. Gideon that was coming to attack Israel, but God appeared to Gideon and said, go in the strength you have and defeat the armies of Midian. Isaiah, the prophet of God, listen to this. God said, go and walk naked and barefoot, not for three seconds, not for three minutes, not for three hours, not for three weeks, not for three months. Go and do that for three years. And Isaiah walked around naked and barefoot for three years preaching the message of God. I'm telling you, you don't want that to be your pastor, okay? <laughs> the disciples, after the resurrection, were wanted for treason against the Roman government, but Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples in my name. That time and time again, all through the Bible, the one word that God continues to tell his people is go. Go. And you're probably thinking, I don't have anywhere specific to go. So, so let me ask this question. Okay, let me press in. Don't raise your hand or anything. Just answer to yourself. How many of us are going to work tomorrow? How many going to school? Are you going, to any, are you going anywhere tomorrow? Are you going to Starbucks? Praise the name of Jesus. Are you going to the movies? Are you going to the grocery store? Are you going to the gym? Like, where are you going tomorrow? And let me challenge us with this. Can we just take the name of Jesus where we are already going? And then when it comes time to go somewhere specific, God will show us and then we will go. Can we just do that? Like a follower says this to Jesus. Jesus, my answer is yes. Now tell me where to go. We want to know where he's going first and then decide whether we want to go. But a follower doesn't do that. A follower says, my answer is yes. Isaiah said this, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me wherever it is. I'm willing to go anywhere. That's where a follower has to be willing to go, that where Jesus is going only matters if I have the willingness to go. And I've got to be willing to go anywhere. Then verses 59 and 60 say this. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus sounds pretty insensitive, doesn't he? The, the, the dude just wanted to go and bury his dad. Is that too much to ask? But before you go thinking that Jesus doesn't care about this guy's dad, I think you need to understand this. That in saying, first let me go bury my father, most likely his father was not dead yet. What he was saying is this, I'll follow you after my father passes away. Because I'm not sure he's going to agree with this whole following Jesus thing. And I would like him to pass down the family business. And there's that whole inheritance thing I'm hoping to get from my dad. I mean, my dad right now needs to come first. But after I bury him, then I'll come follow you. But Jesus was like, hey, if he, if he don't want to follow me, that's on him. I've asked you to follow me regardless of what it means for you and your dad. So come follow me. 
that he calls us to a commitment that takes precedence over all human relationships. So here's the second place we're going to be willing to go. We're going to follow Jesus. A follower is willing to go away from anyone. To go anywhere which might take you away from anyone. And when I say away, away from, I'm not just talking about proximity, being close to someone, although that might be the case. Because sometimes in our following of Jesus, he might actually move us away from people in our life that we love. We might be separated from our loved ones. I told you my sister, her husband, their three kids, they live in China right now. Their desire is to come back to the States someday, but for now, and the last seven years, they've lived in China doing ministry, separated from their family. So for the last seven years, they've missed birthdays, anniversaries, holidays. Two of their three children were born in China with no one there to, from family to support them. Last year, when my sister lost her triplet sons while still in the womb, they walked through that alone. It was hard. It was hard for them. It was hard for our family in the States to not be there with them. But church, that's part of the cost of following Jesus. But as I said, this is more than just a proximity thing. It's a partnership thing as well. That, that sometimes saying yes to Jesus might mean that relationships with people we love actually get severed because of Jesus, that we are separated from those people. I mean, we often say in Christianity or even outside Christianity that Jesus came to bring peace. But look what Jesus said, Matthew 10, 34 through 36. This is the words of Jesus. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies we write in your own household. Whoa. So Kyle Eidelman, in his book, Not a Fan, uh, the series is loosely based on the book. I read it in preparation for this series called Don't Be a Fan. We do have some of his books available out at uh, the store out there. It's an amazing, an amazing book called Not a Fan. In that book, he tells a story about, he's a pastor, he was on a missions trip to Africa. And while there in Africa, he was preaching uh, some nightly services in this village they were in. And one night he presented the gospel, gave an invitation for people to come follow Jesus. And two young African men, probably 20 years old or so, he thought, came forward, received Jesus, committed their lives to following him, which was awesome. Great thing to celebrate. The next afternoon, though, these two young African men showed up at the house where they were staying as missionaries with their bags packed with all their belongings. Each had a bag hanging over their shoulder, and this confused Kyle Eidelman. So he went to the local missionary and said, hey, these two guys just came with their bags packed. What's, like, what's going on? I'm, I'm, I'm confused. The local missionary told Kyle, last night when they gave their lives to Jesus, their families and their village now will no longer accept them, and they knew that when they made the decision to follow Jesus. They literally chose Jesus over their family. And some of you are already facing that right now. May not be in that same way, but, but because you're getting baptized or you're coming to church or reading your Bible or giving generously to God's work, there's people in your life saying, what are you doing? 
Like, I understand the whole God and church thing, but aren't you becoming a little bit radical with your faith? But the reality is where Jesus is going only matters if I have the willingness to go, and I've got to go anywhere and be away from anyone. Which, by the way, does not mean that if you're married and your spouse doesn't believe, you should leave your spouse. It means this, that if anyone in your life leaves you, or opposes you, or abandons you because of Jesus, you choose Jesus over anyone. And then Jesus says this, Luke 9, 61 and 62. Another said this, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And at first glance, it might appear that this is another teaching about relationships, but it's deeper than that. Because apparently, Jesus must have seen another issue in this man's heart. Because when Jesus said, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God, he was not pointing to relationships. He was pointing to our resource, our resources, our earthly concerns. A farmer in the days of Jesus would have guided a plow with one hand and the oxen with another hand. And so anytime he would turn away to look a different way, the plow would go off its path. So Jesus, was when he said, if anyone looks back after starting the plow... He was saying, you're putting your earthly concerns ahead of me. So here's the third place going to be willing to go to follow Jesus. I have to be willing to go without anything. Go anywhere, go away from anyone, and go without anything. That if all I have is Jesus, he is more than enough. Super easy to say right? Really hard to live. It's easy to say that when we live in America and most of us have everything we need. Once everything's taken away, is he really all I need? I don't, I, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know how to answer that question. So in the book, Not a Fan, Kyle Eidelman gives this statement here that I think sums up our whole series says this, followers are willing to deny themselves and say, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus over my family. I choose Jesus over money. I choose Jesus over career goals. I choose Jesus over getting drunk. I choose Jesus over looking at porn. I choose Jesus over a redecorated house. I choose Jesus over my freedom. I choose Jesus over what other people think about me. A follower of Jesus makes a decision every day to deny himself and choose Jesus even if it costs everything. I choose Jesus. So what if? What if, what if we woke up every day and that was our first declaration to God. That today I choose you, Jesus. I choose you today. That no matter where you want me to go, I choose Jesus. And no matter who it takes me away from, I choose Jesus. And no matter what I have to live without, I choose Jesus. Jesus. And no matter the changes I have to make, I choose Jesus. No matter the cost it takes to follow you, I choose 
Jesus. What if every day that was our one declaration? I choose Jesus. I choose him. And you might say, why in the world, after all of that cost, would you choose Jesus? Here's my answer. The reason I choose Jesus is because he first chose me. He chose me. With all my sin and all my struggles and all my problems, he said to me and he says to you, I love you so much that I will not let you stay where you are. And he came as one of us, died because of us, and rose victorious and chose every one of us so that all who put their faith in him will have their sins forgiven, they will be set free and have a seat in eternity for heaven with Jesus. That's why I choose him, because he first chose me. He chose you too. And maybe today is the chance for you to put your faith in Jesus. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're one of those people who right now your faith is not in Jesus. You're not following him with your life, but you've heard this message. You know where he's going, and now it's time for you to put your faith in him, to follow him. If that's you, I want you to say this prayer. You're just talking to God, but you can say it silently in your heart. He hears hears you without you even speaking. Just say this prayer if you want to surrender your life to Jesus. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. And I thank you, Jesus, that you chose me. You chose me. With all my sin and problems and all my failures, you chose me. So I'm choosing you right now to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I confess everything I've done. Wash me clean. Make me new, please, God. Come into my heart. I'm going to turn from the way I've lived and follow you wherever that takes me. Thanks for loving me, God. I'll do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, we'd love to know about it. I'm going to actually do something very bold right now. Would you just please raise your hand up, leave it up. Say, that's me, Pastor Jeff. I just asked Jesus into my heart. Anybody say that by raising your hand right where you are. That's me. I asked Jesus into my heart. Praise God right there. Anybody else? Raise your hand right where you're at. See you in the back. Praise God. Anybody else right there? Praise God. Praise God. Man, welcome to the family. Yes. Anybody else? Just ask Jesus into my heart. It's awesome. Yes. Yes. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, it's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the hardest one you'll ever live. And we're here for you. So we have developed a next steps devotional for you called 21. It gets you in the Bible, gets you taking your next steps, helps explain what just happened when you asked Jesus into your heart. We're so happy and so proud of you. So if you'd ask for one of those next step devotionals at guest services, we'll get one for you. And then mark on your connection card that you asked Jesus into your heart. We'd love to celebrate that with you as well. I love you guys. Uh, Next week. Uh, We're talking about where we're headed as a church over the next 10 years and beyond. So excited for that. Baptism as well. Let me pray for you. Then remain seated. Uh, Pastor Brennan's got some closing words. God, you're so good. Lord, thank you for new life that's found in you. That, Lord, you chose us first. Because of that, God, we're choosing you back. I pray, God, that no matter where you take us, No matter who we're taken away from, no matter what we live without, I pray, Lord, that we would choose you. I choose Jesus. His name we pray. Amen.